Welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked, a podcast dedicated to interviewing some of the industry's brightest minds. We will feature discussions from a wide range of subject matter experts about their careers, industry trends, and what the future holds. Hello, welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked. Today, my guest is one of the most charismatic cybersecurity practitioners, Jerome Walter. Jerome has been in leadership roles for the last 12 years, uh, firstly with Natixis in Hong Kong and Japan, uh, before he moved to Singapore, where he was uh, head of security architecture for Prudential. Uh, And then he moved to Pivotal as a field CISO, and he is now head of security modernization for VMware. How are you, Jerome? Good to see you, as ever. Yeah, nice for having me and nice for the introduction. Thank, Thank you for you. the introduction. No worries. Um, how have you how have you been the last few months? Can't complain really. Eh? Been, uh, I mean, I'm in a good industry. In field security is pretty safer than the rest of the, the industry. Uh, I'm working for a company that has been pretty supportive, so I can't really uh, complain uh, when we see the number of people leaving the country or having... Mm. Um, impact financial impact because of uh, covid um, uh, i can be very happy to be on among the few that can focus on uh, on business and on family rather than just the stress of uh, surviving yeah so. yeah yeah no it's been a tough time for a lot of people yeah. have you been doing anything in the last sort of three or four months other than work uh you know usual uh we're in a field where it's uh, need to f- always learn so continuing to uh, to read books to learn new things i have new product to keep pace to and i even managed to write or to contribute to a book so it's been quite a busy uh, three months so nice good yeah. okay so when is this uh, when is this book due out it's um it's a book due normally july august so uh, well, it should be uh, should be anytime soon, um, and it's the first uh, iteration of an O'Reilly book on security chaos engineering. So the application of chaos engineering principle to improve so, uh, security. Right. Okay. Cool. I look forward to uh, look forward to reading that when it comes out. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting field. Yeah. No, it is it certainly is. So I was curious, how did you get started in uh, in technology and in the industry of security? When I get started in uh, in technology, is about four years old. When my dad first uh, bought a computer, he was thinking that uh, we might be the future. So I kind of grew with computers all my life. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. In '97, uh, I was already playing with Linux and all those stuff. Um, so that's part of the technology. Uh, that's why I studied IT engineering. I moved to yeah, basically. I think nowadays we can call the geek geek. So mm-hmm. you know, I had seventeen computers at home when I was uh, when I was younger. So uh, that's for me natural move to technology. Um, started developing system engineering um, for companies and then evolve slowly towards security. Uh, interesting move, but um, mm-hmm. can't regret really. I know you've actually got one of those kind of unique backgrounds where you're in sort of a leadership now role and worked as a, as a CISO, but you actually come from a programmer background and a development background. So that's actually quite unique. Yeah, I would call myself more coming from a, from an infrastructure and system background than a programmer. Uh, I did code when I was younger, mm-hmm. uh, but I wasn't really that good. So, you know, at one point you need to realize that if you can't be good at something, just... 
move wherever you could. And uh, infrastructure yeah. was a was a way. Uh, I was a Linux guy in a team of Solaris, and then mm -hmm. you know move on from there. Once okay. you manage, master one thing, you bigger picture of IT management and. Uh, move towards security. Security mm. uh, first from an angle of getting things right, uh, mm. quality management, info, infosec, and then as you move towards infosec, and then you need to go down to more breadth uh, threat in terms of risk management and technology. And yeah, that was uh, kind of the path. Mm. Just, just still like mess about with any code today or. Really I'm back code? into it, yeah, yeah, I'm back into it. Um, uh, I guess spending the last 18 months surrounded by developers uh, kind of got me motivated. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think there is still a few things that um, where the tool sets we have uh, are not really up to my expectations. So oh, I'm kind okay. of trying to, to, to code a few, a few things on, uh, mm. on areas that I think needs to be fixed. Okay, uh, yes. Quality, quality review, I guess, part of the job. And when, when did you make the conscious sort of shift from sort of standard tech Linux and then into sort of security as we sort of know it today? It's interesting because even before when I was in uh, infrastructure and development and even when I was a student, I've always been on the side of, I guess that's my, uh, the flow of perfectionism of hardening and getting things right and mm. uh, doing the nitty gritty. So when I was working in infrastructure, I was working with the CISO at the time on security standards. We've had opportunities to work on a few uh, on a few security incidents as well. Um, and I had this interest for um, always improving things, right? And so mm. that's why I, I, at the time I was interested in uh, Six Sigma, in Lean, in, uh, I took the certification for ISO 2701. To me, it was like, okay, um, how do you mix quality and security ma and security management? And so uh, that was, I don't know, I guess a personal, personal attraction towards getting things right. And um, if there is one thing that has been true for the last 20 years to me is uh, security is a result of getting IT right, not a specific function per se. 90% um, of breaches today have to do with basic stuff that were not done right. And so that's always the angle I've done. And um, that's how I got into, into security to begin with. Um, moved on. Uh, when I moved to Japan, CISO, asked me whether I would be interested in doing the InfoSec and business continuity for uh, for Asia. So I took it as a, yeah, that didn't take me more than five seconds to say, yeah, that's one of the things uh, I've was looking forward to. Um, so I don't know, I, there is no declick moving from infrastructure to security is yeah. if you're not already mindful of security when you're doing your day-to-day -day job, mm. then you won't do security well to begin yeah. with in the future, yeah. Right, okay. So what year was that then? So you moved from France to Japan? So I moved, well, I moved to France to Japan twice. So the second time was in 2006 uh, with a company called XSCIP, became, okay. uh, became NetXS after. Mm -hmm. uh, so really moved as part of infrastructure and I guess a year and a half later, this is where I started being more officially involved in uh, in doing the BCP and InfoSec and access management and all those things. Uh, it was just a natural transition, really. Right, cool. And what was uh, what was living in Japan like? How did you sort of adapt to the uh, the culture environment? 
Uh, interesting question. Well, I was living in Japan. Um, I loved it, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have married a Japanese. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know Japan is absolutely a great country. Um, if you're open to to challenge your own mindset and your culture, um, it's not for the faint-hearted. Yeah. Uh, if you expect to leave work before 10 p.m., maybe that's not where you should be working. Uh, but I would think it was the right time, the right moment. I actually moved back to Japan because I wanted it, right? So mm -hmm. I've spent one year in Japan at the end of my studies and came back to France, and I really was attracted to the culture uh, of there. So um, opportunities, uh, a lot of things to do. And it was, you know, uh, as part of a company I was already part of, a lot of things to build. So a lot of challenge, uh, a lot of um, things you wouldn't be exposed if you if you stay at home, right? Yeah. Especially large organization. Um, large organization, you usually have a very narrow scope of work. Um, so that was really the ideal state. Large organization, but small footprint and everything to build. So... Mm. Basically, uh, I was lucky to work from building data center and trading trading rooms, trading floor networks to do security and business continuity. So it was yeah. very, very, very interesting few years. Yeah, Awesome. And then when did you make the move from Japan to Hong Kong? Uh, well, financial crisis decided for us, like oh, okay. most of the banks, you know, <laughs> it's kind of um, <laughs> here's your package if you want to or go to Hong Kong. Uh, no, no, that was very, um, uh, that was uh, like many banks, uh, foreign banks, uh, we reduced operations in, in Japan at the time. And so uh, we still needed security to be done. So yeah, it wasn't the issue. So I guess for you, it's still pretty kind of like bulletproof through that, you know, it was still, like you say, it was still needed, like business continuity management, disaster recovery, that's all absolutely crucial to keep an organization running. Well, do you know a bank that doesn't think security is important? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's uh, uh, no, that's definitely uh, necessary. A, in the time, probably um, less obvious than it is today. Um, but I don't think that today uh, any business would think that would completely ignore it. Right? Mm. It's a question of uh, I think it's more on the small businesses a question of being able to afford it and how do you address it when you already are scarce on resources and when you already have business things to be done. Mm. Uh, that's a problem that doesn't exist in uh, in banking or regulated industry because obviously regulators make it mandatory for you to have it. Uh, but definitely this is uh, an important field, right? I mean, mm. the uh, sums in uh, at play are just not from a risk perspective it's just not something you can even yeah. decide to not do right yeah, it's yeah. Just, um, and then Hong Kong you ticked off Hong Kong and then you moved to Singapore yeah uh, what was it that attracted you to Singapore um, let's say that the five stars of Singapore got aligned for me um, at that time, I had been working for Exis Plus Natixis, which was the same company, mm -hmm. for close to 11 years. Mm -hmm. uh, had been the CISO of the company for uh, six years, seven years. Uh, mm -hmm. I can't calculate anymore. So I think I, I was looking for a change. I was looking for a new challenge, something a little bit uh, different and more demanding. And um, so when Prudential came and said, hey, would you be interested? Um, I was like, yes. And my, my wife was pregnant at the time, so the opportunity to move to Singapore 
rather than being living in those tiny little apartments in Hong Kong with like mm. the second deciding factor is like absolutely yes. Yeah, that's kind of like the common thing, isn't it? A lot of people think say Hong Kong is for like young people and then Singapore is perhaps maybe a bit more family orientated. I mean Hong Kong is a great country is a great place to be, but let's be realistic in terms of real estate is a very dragging mm. limitation of the con- yeah. of the country today. It's yeah. um it's absolutely unaffordable for most of the people. Um, and so when you start to grow um, a family, and I grew up in a countryside of France, so already not having a garden is hard for me. Uh, okay. so, so you're uh, a country boy? I am, I am. Oh, okay, am. okay. Mm. Having lived in Hong Kong for, for a long time, what, what's your sort of take on what's going on there at the moment? Uh, that's a very, very um, disheartening, um, disheartening uh, situation right now. Um, nothing surprising, um, nothing surprising. It's, um, you cannot honestly expect that, um, that, a, that China will let Hong Kong say they're not part of China, right? Mm. They're part of China. Uh, it's just that, uh, I think, um, this is a hard transition to be gone, right? Mm. It's a lot of people who are still, uh, hoping to keep the things the way they are and it's not honestly not possible um the fact that it becomes through strength and through mm. rather than a gracious uh transition is um is a bit disheartening because i love the country and mm. it's land of opportunities and great people um but that's what happens when you have two very opposing um opinions who can't talk to each other yeah right yeah, it's, it seems like it's a really tricky situation for all concerned. But I mean, I've—I mean, from a security perspective as well, and as a recruiter, I've already noticed a trend of you know headcount being moved from Hong Kong to Singapore, and even actually pulling people out of Hong Kong and, and you know put moving them to the Singapore office because it's it's really kind of a risk you know sort of keeping them there. So it it's um, yeah it seems quite uh, it's a tough situation. I'm not sure what the future is going to. Honestly, I think this trend of transitioning out of Hong Kong started before the um, the events and the demonstrations. Uh, I would say already five years ago, I think Singapore has bet more towards building uh, an IT system, an, uh, an IT expertise than Hong Kong did. Uh, and so... You know, attracting more talent, uh, growing the growing the the people locally, um, uh, and actively managing uh, managing this and driving this agenda. So already, a lot of the IT expertise has moved to to Singapore. Singapore is uh, uh, is very lucky to be in a situation where you're close to Malaysia, close to India. So for mm. companies who who are looking for the uh, diversity of outsourcing, it's uh, very well located. And so security is just following wherever technology expertise is, right? Um, Even though security is not a a technology problem only, it's still very much linked to technology. Uh, And so it's it's a move we've been seeing for quite a while already. Um, After, yeah, that depends on the business. If you're pretty close to China and Mm -hmm. to all the outsourcing, obviously you have more chances uh, and more... Uh, more needs to be in Hong Kong, but um, uh, in terms of expertise, I've seen the scarcity coming in uh, in Hong Kong for quite a while already. Uh, right. Yeah. And now I guess it's just kind of coming to roost, like today, and what, what we see in the media. It's all. Yeah. Well, I think right now. Escalating. Um, 
I, I think right now, yeah, um, it just makes it clear for anyone mm. who still had a doubt. Um, yeah. For the next few months, at least, and touching wood, it's only a few months. Yeah, let's hope um, so. It's gonna it's gonna be a little bit uh, tight, but let's hope that they find uh, they find a situation and a way to appease people and not uh, just antagonize more the people who who have a different opinion because mm. um, there is no solution and there is no exit from the top mm. if uh, you alienate alienate a part of your of your population so it's very important for people to start opening up and discussing mm. yeah for sure going back to your career you made this you made it was quite interesting actually because as a as i say you know following people's careers uh, and career path it seems a very easy transition to go from sort of consulting or vendor. The natural move is to then move client side sort mm. of later on in their career. You've kind of done it the other way around. And I think from, from the outside, you know, reading, reading it, it seems that it's a much easier transition, whereas yeah. you kind of done it the other way around. Yeah, I know. So um, first of all, what, what was it that attracted you to, um, to Pivotal and, and to the role and, and dealing with customers again? So it's interesting because I've always said that I would never work for a vendor. Um, <laughs> and uh, honestly, when the transition happened, I had an, a few opportunities and I could uh, go back to financial uh, institution, uh, being a CSO uh, for a financial institution here in the region, or, um, or I received this phone call regarding, hey, there's this company called Pivotal uh, Go. And... Um, it really went back to my core and to what I was mentioning earlier. When I look back into the problems we have today in security, right? Uh, we talk about the traditional practices of we do vulnerability scannings, we try to get things patched, and we do IPAT. But the, the real core issues are not in security. The real core issues are in IT, right? So the fact that you can't patch is not the problem of you don't have good security. It's because your system have not been designed to be easy to patch. Uh, the fact that you um, your secrets are leaked is because you haven't designed your your uh, your uh, systems the right way. So I looked into it and I, I, I dug into what uh, Pivotal is doing. And Pivotal is really an interesting company, right? So do with their labs, they do a lot of the human culture transformation of Agile. And they emphasize a lot that it's not about buying a solution. Right. If you buy a platform, great, you have a good platform. That won't bring you anywhere. It's really transforming the way you work and transforming the way people work together to solve business outcomes that is really uh, important. And so I looked into it and I realized, um, do, what do I do? Do I have a choice between uh, managing issues or solving them? And I... I took a bet. I was like, let's try to let's take a try and let's see if um, if we could work towards uh, an industry and an approach that I truly believe. Um, I won't say solves the problem because it's it's never a hundred percent solved, but really, really potentially can uh, improve a lot of the security issues we have today. And if you look at the, the threats we have coming in. Right. We have new, I mean, adversaries are more and more advanced. You have AI coming in, you have IoT and, uh, and uh, industrial control uh, systems to manage. So the things to, to manage keep increasing. But for most of the organization, we're not 
trying to, or we haven't found a way to actually reduce the BAU of the existing system, right? Mm-hmm. And so we know we have scarcity of people in security. Um, and unless we actually solve the problems that we have today, that we have basically have been having for the last 20 years, we won't be able to sort out what's coming in, right? And so... Um, I looked into it. I was like, okay, let's take a let's take a gamble that uh, I can move towards um, solving these issues. And um, the other aspect of it, my MBTI tells me that I'm an altruistic person, so I really enjoy helping people. So I was like, okay, let's go, let's do it. Mm. Um, and that was really personal choice. Um, it's not because vendors are great or, or not. It's actually Pivotal is not a security vendor, right? Mm. So I chose it because it is not a security vendor. Mm. Um, but uh, very, very um, interesting, and I'm glad I did this move, actually. Great. Yeah. What advice would you give anybody that is maybe looking for a move? You know, somebody's maybe kind of stuck where they are at the moment. They they kind of crave for that a little bit more variety, like you say, solving you know problems for you know different organizations. How have you been able to sort of make that transition? What did you have to change about how you go about your day? It's... Um yeah, it's mind-boggling to, to change. It's very different, and, but interestingly, and I would say it's not for everyone, but very interestingly, I would advise everyone to actually move for a vendor or a role for a few years. Uh, and the very interesting thing is looking at what we are doing from an outside perspective is mm-hmm. eye-opener. Yeah. Right? Um, from outside, you see inefficiencies that are striking, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, now I understand. Um, and so I think it's very important to step out and have the opportunity to look at uh, diversity of, uh, of challenge. That's really what I enjoy today. Um, so the decision to move towards a vendor side or not is very personal. I would say if today you have this already internally, you already have this culture of customer service, of solving problems and of continuous improving and helping others then do the, do the move, right? Mm. Um, it's very good because you will have this opportunity to learn so much more, right? Mm. You deal with different industries, different maturity. Um, what we see, and particularly since I'm not a security vendor, I see the effect of organizational silos and established practices that we consider best practices, the effect they have in making our companies still and unable to change, right? Mm. Um, I see the effect of, um, this is the way we, uh, of risk aversion in actually increasing risk instead of reducing it. Mm. Um, so it's very important to, to do it, but personally in terms of, is it for everyone? No. It's not for everyone. Um, it is um, good if you have this, I mean, if naturally you have this customer service uh, kind of uh, mindset of approach. Um, and if you do, I would suggest you take at least a few years in the vendor side. Uh, mm. Whether you stay there or not is another topic, but that's very important to even introspection of what I was doing. I basically was looking at what I've been doing for the last 12 years from outside. Like, oh, okay. Some of them were like, okay. That was the actual good thing to do at the time. But now I see that it might not be ideal for the agility of the organization. Yeah. Do you think that probably gives you a bit of an advantage because you've been in their shoes before, you've been on that side before, so you can kind of, you know, 
Definitely. Well, actually, uh, you were asking whether should client go to the vendor side. I think vendor should hire clients. Mm. Um, we definitely need people, especially today, who have experience in actually running things, right? Um, for the last, and I'm in a privileged position in security, and as I mentioned, like we see that security issues usually happens on IT not being implemented ideally. I mean, it's easy to say in practice, it's much more complex than that. But that's not buying a product that helps you, right? It's not moving to a cloud, it's not moving, uh, buying an antivirus that helps you. What we observe is understanding what is the best way of managing it and constantly fine tuning it is the important aspect. And when you're a vendor, you yeah, I mean, you drink your own Kool Aid. Let's be uh, let's be honest. Mm. Sometimes, and so you're convinced, and you're right. Your product helps, but unless you have the exper- you have the experience of what the customers are going through, uh, you don't have the empathy, or you wouldn't really be able to understand that it's more than just buying the product and deploying it. You need to help your customer mm. through their own organization to convince their stakeholders that this yeah. is the right way to change the way they do things. Um, I'm lucky today to say that basically. 80% of my advisory is mostly about people and organizational change and um, making people change the way they, they look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, so both ways. You need vendors to hire clients and you need yeah. some clients to move to the vendor side. Uh, diversity is very important anyway. Yeah, 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 for sure. How did you get involved in, uh, or when did you get involved in uh, keynote speaking? I noticed that you've been sort of involved in uh, keynote speaking before. It started through, um, I mean, keynote and panels I've been doing for quite a while already in Hong Kong. I've been um, invited to a few panels uh, in um, on risk management and security. Um, started moving to keynote speaking. And let's be honest, uh, vendors are more uh, open to having and going speaking about keynote speaking. Uh, it's when... I moved to Pivotal, I realized how much people need to hear. Uh, people need to hear different ways or different practices. Um, and that's very important, right? If you do security and the, there is a lot of very um, dedicated security teams who do everything correctly, but there is in a way, opportunities you're not seeing because they don't hear, they don't see uh, outside of it. And um, I've learned more about security by non-security people mm-hmm. uh, than by security people. Um, sitting with engineers who are designing the cloud solutions or were designing stuff and can explain, yeah, but this is this, this, this. absolutely amazing. And um, if you hear developers talking about uh, the problems they're solving for cloud, for streaming, for technology problems of today have tremendous impact on security, right? Mm-hmm. But when we're in the security field, we tend to listen to, you know, threat actors, uh, to the latest vulnerabilities, the less hack. Um, we don't really see the opportunities of how, uh, how we could solve uh, the future problems. Um, I'm usually joking, saying you, you, you're familiar with site reliability uh, engineering, SRE. So um, it's a new practices of um, of infrastructure of continuous improvement that is advocated by Google. And they usually quote it by saying, uh, SRE is what happens when you ask a developer to do infrastructure. Uh, okay. 
And basically what we need to do is to do the same for security, ask a developer to look at security. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is really the drive. And I realize there is a lot of opportunities, a lot of messages that are unheard. Mm. And that's really where I got to to go and say, hey, we need to talk about um, about this, not okay. just the whole fear, uncertainty, and doubt that security vendors love. Yeah, I guess you get on. So for you, it was more the kind of sort of noble pursuit of uh, getting the you know the message out there, making sure you know there's a lot of um, un undercurrent issues that are happening in security, and just getting that message out there. Yeah, uh, see, I'm pretty lucky in a way. Uh, my personal belief aligned with the interest of the company, mm. right? So it's also good for for the company to um, to let people. Um, understand the uh, the impacts of what we are doing uh, better. Um, and to be honest, right, um, security is often seen as a blocker from a vendor yeah. side. When you go and you deploy um, amazing technologies or amazing transformation program, and then you have the security team say, whoa, 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 whoa no. Um, this is um, also a challenge that, we, uh, that vendors are having. So anything that can help get security, understand that it's for their own good as well, Yeah, is, um, is necessary. So I think every every incentive are very interest aligned in this case, so. Yeah. So one of the things I noticed when I started uh, headhunting for CISOs and CIOs, there's a lot of them that are involved in sort of keynote speaking. Do you think it's an advantage or, or do you think it could potentially act as a, as a blocker to securing that, you know, that role that you really want? Yeah, um, good question. Uh, I would think, unless you're saying something stupid, it's not negative, um, but it's definitely a positive. Um, today, we can be, uh, we have to be honest, a lot of the role of a CISO is less about the technology of deploying security solutions than to actually get uh, the organization on board. So we need leaders, we need people who can convey a message, hmm. uh, convey a message accordingly. And um, so I don't know if it's keynotes that makes you positive or the fact that those people uh, have developed the ability to express the, uh, to express those ideas, those concepts uh, in an understandable and intelligent way that makes them want to do keynotes. Mm. Uh, but that's definitely um, an important aspect of the role of a CISO today. Uh, I, I often remind people that security is not achieving, I mean, it's not securing your network or securing something, it's you need to secure, to make your organization more secure. And it's achieved through the whole organization. Right? Yeah. Uh, you don't blame people for clicking on the links, you just make them more able to not click on the link, but also in terms of IT organization to be more, able to respond to spot and respond to security incident. So it's really about engaging the rest of the organization. So uh, these are skills that are very important uh, to have um, and leadership and people um, people engagement, uh, yeah. I think is probably the, the most needed skill in uh, security leadership today. Yeah, yeah, no, that's one. I, I've always believed that. And whenever I've um, um, interviewed people that have got sort of keynotes that are available on YouTube, it's it's a great way for you know board members or CIOs or CROs, whoever the decision maker is, to get kind of a window into how they operate, how they convey their message. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say there is also another aspect is when you go to keynotes, uh, 
you don't go to a keynote if you say uh, the typical uh, we are here to prevent risk, we are here to protect the organization and you know make sure nothing happens. It's usually the people who are more business focused that will mm. say it. Yeah. Um, and that's important, right? Because mm. security um, is often seen as a blocker and is unfortunately sometimes a blocker. Um, uh, under the helm of thinking, we need to make sure that nothing happens. And we, when nothing happens, your company goes bankrupt, right? So, yeah. um, so I would say the keynote speakers also have to have this mindset of business-friendly security. So sure, sure. It's, a, it's a good message. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What, how, how important do you think it is to, you know, in today's uh, sort of world of tech, is it for CISOs to understand cloud and the, the cloud adoption? Well, you know, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, we're in 2020. If you don't understand the cloud, then maybe you shouldn't be a CISO. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, I, I, I'll be honest, right? Already when I was uh, like 15 years ago, I was managing infrastructure and what we were doing, you could equate it to a cloud, right? Fully automated, um, deploying hundreds of um, half servers were not a question. And that's, uh, that was normal, right? And so when I look back 15 years later, the fact that some people are still uncomfortable with the comprehensive automation of the data center mm -hmm. uh, is uh, is boggling me. I think there's still a confusion between what cloud is and what public cloud or cloud providers are. These are two different things. You can do cloud in premises if you want to. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a technology, it's an approach. Um, that said, it's a question of risk, right? Uh, interestingly enough, often you see organization or um, reluctant to go to the cloud, also the ones who are not really as good as doing their own IT mm. as um, they should be. And so they would be the one benefit, benefiting the most. Um, AWS, um, Azure, and all those companies handle millions of attacks uh, a day, right? So they are better at IT and they're better at security and a number of things. And that's really uh, an opportunity to say, okay, all those churn and those day-to-day -day noise, you outsource it to some people who know how to do it so that you can focus your security resources on what matters, which is designing security for the business, aligned for the business, designing controls that are relevant for your value stream and not um, the usual, let's look whether we have a vulnerability in this server or let's patch it. Or, like, mm. Honestly, we lose a lot of resources today and we hear so much people saying, hey, we have scarcity of resources in security. It's like, yeah, but if you were removing the, if you were asking security people to actually do security, which is offensive security, being better at threat intel and informing the organization, working with the developers on actually identifying issues and fixing them. Uh, if you were not doing those BAU scans and all the stuff, then you we wouldn't have this scarcity of resources. So it's an opportunity uh, of where obviously there are risks to it. Um, it's not something you can blindly jump in, but uh, it's a great opportunity for a number of uh, a number of organizations. And the way it's moving today towards decentralized clouds and edge clouds will solve uh, a lot of the issues we have of uh, of putting everything in one basket, right? So yeah. we have opportunities to coming in. What what are the biggest kind of risks up when you know putting all all of the applications into the cloud? What's the what stands out for you? 
what needs to be addressed? Well, you obviously have a vendor lock-in uh, risk. Um, love it or not, when you do something with one of your cloud provider, you're stuck with this cloud providers because the cost of reprogramming everything on another on another cloud uh, would be uh, tremendous. And um, so this is an issue. Um, if you don't design it properly, uh, they have a good uptime, up but they go down once in a while, right? So it's all the question of um, are you designing properly so that you're not stuck in... Um, in the hands of someone else who might not have your best interest in uh, in, mm. in mind, right? They, it's still a business, profitable company. They manage their they manage their own uh, interest in um, before the others, even though they are customer centric. They wouldn't put their own uh, interest uh, at risk. Uh, but yeah, I think the uh, the vendor and the governance uh, for the average of a companies would be the biggest issue after when you deal with some sensitive data government data uh, then you know, or banking it you have naturally like geographic boundaries would be a very uh, uh, very tricky aspect to manage um, but the industry is facing the same problem so mm. overall solutions are coming um, the national security law of, uh, of uh, Hong Kong will be uh, an interesting question to answer on this topic of yeah. cloud and um, and uh, ownership of data of, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's going to be very grey at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> that is grey and that's something that's probably already on the on the agenda of every uh, board or senior chief risk officer of what does it potentially impact? Are we concerned on the um, issue of um, our data mm. being uh, being exposed to government agency but honestly that should be on the agenda of everyone since a long time mm. ago because the US has the same laws yeah right and so it really depends on um, your business model and mm. that's really where the discussion today has to say. it's not you don't have one size fit all security it's really a decision of depending on your business depending on what uh, is relevant for you what you think are the adversaries or your competitors mm. um, it's a decision that you won't say I don't go to Hong Kong. You, uh, I go to to Hong Kong. It's you need to be mindful of the different risk and what it means for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you think the um, industry is heading? And are there any? Is there anything that you've noticed in terms of like trends, or what do you think is going to be the next big thing in uh, in security? People. <laughs> um, I know. Could tell you that the next big thing is IoT and AI. Um, Everyone will tell you this. These are these are the opportunities um, and challenges at the same time. Um, the uh, uh, artificial intelligence, even if the world is the word today, is a little bit pompous for what it is. So, uh, uh, enlightened computers uh, certainly give opportunities for security to to get faster, but also give opportunities for the adversary to to automate. And we can see it in terms of um, the speed at which you go from reconnaissance to uh, to compromission is definitely uh, a new challenge for organizations. Um, and the fact that we have devices everywhere, mobility everywhere, uh, call it 5G, IoT, and all those things are also uh, a new challenge. When we started moving towards the clouds and we moved from uh, 
would be called uh, moving from the model of the castle with perimeter defense and well-controlled environment towards mm. an airport where you have data a little bit everywhere. Now it's going to be even uh, more um, more challenging. The with COVID today, working from home or from anywhere has become uh, not a question anymore. Mm. Um, and so this mobility and the uh, the management of the data and where your data goes and how you protect decentralized data is going to be a, a, a big issue. So that's for the technical aspect. But I do think that today's big next big thing we need to deal with is people. Mm. Uh, the way we the way we work. Uh, there is no more space for siloed organization where uh, risk does risk, security does security, IT does IT. Um, we've seen it. The reason why everyone is going to Agile and this DevOps movement is because when you have siloed and you have people who are self-reinforcing their views on uh, this is a way to do it, uh, you actually break down the organization. You slow down your organization compared to being able to really align your your teams and your ways of working to your value stream. Mm -hmm. And so that means we need to get people of diverse background, of diverse expertise to start to talk to each other. Uh, and that's what DevOps is about today um, is really about how do you get security and developers to not bark at each other. Um, and that's one of the, the issues we have, and same with risk. Uh, if you look at the risk, we have uh, opportunities to to do things better in this aspect. HR, in at the end of the day, a lot of it is about aligning incentives mm -hmm. of people. Yeah. If, you, if you really care um, about creating the right culture, where it's really about making sure that you uh, incentivize everyone. And today, people in organizations, people who are incentivized for security are only the security teams. Yeah. So how do we want to solve the security problems in the developers, in the um, in infrastructure, or to get the smart guys who design something to really care about security if we don't incentivize the right way? Um, so these are the things that we need to, to deal with on, at the organization level, is how do you get everyone to battle in, in the same direction. That means getting the organization to care more about security and to value more security, but also getting, getting security to care more about business development and not being, this is a threat, or I'm going to block Zoom even though my business really needs it right now because potentially there is a security issue. Uh, we've seen that in the last mm -hmm. few months when everything went back. as like security teams were saying, I don't care if my business is hurt. I'm, this is bad. Well. Maybe not, right? At the end of the day, it's a question of aligning, uh, of you're here to develop your business, right? And it's yeah. probably, right, to go back to your question of moving to the vendor side, what you're forced to when you're, I would say everyone is working for a vendor, right? Mm. Even on your client, you should be thinking, I'm working for a vendor. You should be doing security to develop your company. Yeah. Uh, and that's really uh, an important aspect of what's coming in the next few years, I think. It's still taking, but more and more you, we hear people being interested in this cultural aspect of uh, how do we get things uh, together. And so it's a movement that's snowballing. So I certainly hope it's hit the ground in the next, uh, in the next few years, because otherwise we're in for a very challenging time. If, if we don't lean ourselves out, uh, the, the attacks and the, the threat landscape is expo in gray, increasing exponentially. So we won't mm -hmm. be ready in most organizations unless we really start working more efficiently. Yeah.
Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, I mean, over the last sort of three or four months, there's going to be a lot of people that are sort of rethinking, you know, perhaps maybe their career, um, maybe coming to the end of the road or, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, being made redundant. Is there any advice that you would give for somebody that is looking to pivot into the industry, pivot into security that's maybe got a, a good technical grounding in technology or? Sure. Um, what are the roles that will be highly in demand? In demand? Um, mm. Offensive security is not disappearing anytime soon. And I think it's probably the most important um, aspect of security tomorrow um, because um, tools are great for finding vulnerabilities, but they won't find the right thing. And organization will need to increase more and more the, the ability to find vulnerabilities and fix them fast. And so uh, you definitely, whether it's pen test red teaming uh, or bug bounties, I mean, offensive security will only increase in the next future. And it's something that people can learn by themselves. If you have a, a good understanding of technology already today, uh, you have a lot of resources to get in, right? Mm. And there is a massive demand in the industry. So even people who are not super expert or have opportunities to find uh, to find jobs in the field. So if you're trying to pivot, that's a good area to uh, to move in. Uh, another very in demand uh, threat in Dell. I think it's harder to move in um, today. A lot of it, you you basically come from law enforcement or threat intel uh, background um, to get in. I mean, you can at the junior level, but as as a mid to la end of career, it's going to be harder to go and move mm -hmm. back because you need to go down to fairly junior roles. So uh, unless you have the expertise on, on it, um, AppSec, just code. Uh, or at least even if you're not a good developer, um, you need to understand what it is to develop an application. Mm. And more and more organizations today start developing themselves or taking the, their own integration and their own uh, development seriously. And that's a field that is very important. And so anyone who um, has this mindset of finding flaws and can understand the logic of coding and all those things is, is a very much uh, a field that is open for opportunities today. There is, again, not enough people who do it uh, for for the demand, right? That's probably the field where we have scarcity, real scarcity of resources today. That requires a good knowledge, but you can learn it as well. A lot of resources today. Yeah, yeah, you're actually one of the very few people that have said that actually application security and companies are constantly trying to you know build out their own capability in application security. So yeah, that is definitely something on the rise. Yeah, interestingly enough, as I mentioned, a lot of people who taught me about security were not security people and I've learned a lot about security from developers. Mm. And uh, I mean, particularly in Pivotal, if you look at it, they are not security developers, but if you talk about security, you're like, yeah, this is this, this, this. like, um, there is a lot of knowledge in our developers today. They really, most of the developers are actually really, really good and really knows. and. Um, so bringing the barrier, so either you you can get some of them to start looking at security, but usually, I mean, it's a question of whether they are interested, if they like building, to what do you want to do security? But again, this point of incentivizing, um, there's a lot of benefits we, ha we would have in security by opening our gate to non-security people. I, I would 
in my career, I think my best hires didn't come from security, didn't have any security background. Yeah. A lot of what we do in security is having a good understanding of what the others, what, what mm. the field on the other side does and being able to to have this rational thinking of like, okay, let's find a middle ground. These are the risks. Let's mm. discuss how could we, uh, how could we find um, uh, ways to remediate it or to compensate for it. Uh, and, you know, maybe Gartner calls it Carta, like the uh, continuous adaptive risk uh, and control. Um, it's nothing more than sit down with your things, identify what is the primary, what could go wrong, build a control for it. And then make sure that your developers are not inadvertently reintroduced tomorrow, right? Mm. So, and that's really where you have a lot of resources needed in terms of writing those tests, writing those tools in security that, to make sure that authentication is well done, right? Mm. Today, uh, increasing number of vulnerabilities and breach come from poorly, poorly implemented authentication, right? Yeah. The actual implementation is not that hard. The test mm. is not that hard. We need people to go and say, okay, let's make sure that we have it and we don't make a mistake six months down the line by just misconfiguring something that that everyone thought was deployed, but because you have something misconfigured, you mm. it doesn't work this way. We need more security testing and we can't, I mean, uh, security vendors will hate me for that. Uh, <laughs> but today we need to augment those security tools with things yeah. that are tailored and that really help developers that really speak directly to developers to mm. tell them, look, it's not against you. We just, these are the key things you need to put. We want to make sure that when you develop, you don't think about security. You can think about developing the business and you don't have the fear of introducing mm. a vulnerability. Yeah. If you sit with developers, you will realize a lot of them actually care about security, Yeah. but they have business to develop. They have other yes. things to do, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you can't ask them to spend a hundred percent of the time or twenty percent of the time to just look at security they, they need to develop the business what we need yeah. in cybersecurity is to make them more efficient by making sure that they don't make those mistakes that create security right mm -hmm. and that's really the mindset uh, that we have to do and the skills i think are missing today yeah and i guess that links back to what you're saying before as well about you know breaking silos and more collaboration is what yeah. is going to make for a healthier organization if you sit to, to with developers, uh, the most recurring question is like, I am fine implementing all the security requirements. Don't dump a 40 pages security policy on me that is half of it is irrelevant for what I'm trying to do. Just tell me what I need to do. Mm. Right. And that's really today um, this aspect of helping them start the project and focus on the first few weeks of an MVP is really you want to get a very quick feedback whether your idea is going to make re generate revenue, whether it works or not. You don't want to do security, but you don't want to spend your time doing it. So making it easier uh, by having people available to help, but by also automating a lot of those um, those build and all those things so that they don't have to do it with it. They don't have to tick the boxes on compliance is really an aspect that we uh, we need to do today because um, um, if you look at the efficiency and if you ask a developer to, or any organization, if you ask them to spend 20% of their time uh, to do security, mm saying that's 20% of the time they're not contributing to the revenue of the company. Mm, right? yeah. And I love to think that everyone in the company is here to develop the company. Um, I hope so. Uh, so this should be really much uh, yeah. 
front and center. And it's really bottom line if you want to break those silos between security and the rest of the organization. And those this perception that security is annoying, uh, in, in reality, it's not. It's just this perception because we tend to not convey the message that we're here to develop the message as a, as a sure. business. We, I was reading recently uh, some risk people saying our job is to make sure that people don't make mistakes. It's like, no. If you don't make mistakes and people don't learn, you don't, deplo- you don't develop, uh, that means the day a mistake is being done, no one has the expertise to actually know how to react to it. You want people to make mistakes. That's the whole principle of chaos engineering. What you want is to make sure the mistake doesn't cost money to you mm. or doesn't cost an unbearable amount of money to the company. And that's really this mindset that we need to, 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 to embrace in security of how do we make sure that we're not here to say you're not going to introduce vulnerabilities. We're mm-hmm. here to make sure as an organization, we make it easy for developers to develop and we find problems fast and we fix them fast. Mm-hmm. And that requires working together, right? Saying this is a message we need to go and, uh, and convey. Cool. Well, yeah. you continue spreading the good word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's uh, what's next for you? Where do you see your career, you know, going to in the next, you know, three, five years? That's a good question. That's a good question. I guess I've been too too happy um, too happy in the last eighteen months. I've not been asking me too much this thing. Um, I still have this calling of helping people. So anyone who knock at my door and tells me, "Hey, I have a problem. Uh, I need I need help. I'll be." I'll be the first to jump in. Uh, there is opportunities. Uh, there is a crowd of, there is still, I think, uh, a crowd of people who need help. Mm-hmm. So probably vendors a little bit more. Uh, if really um, if really we, we contribute on that things. What's happening today in, uh, in cloud technologies, and again, let's not call it cloud, let's call it cloud native, technologies that have been built for the cloud. Um, what's happening today is a massive opportunity for security. Uh, the way developers are looking at declarative uh, programming and automating a number of things uh, is has potential for solving a lot of this challenge we have in security operations today. And so I might want to make sure that this happens. Um, or client, I'm fairly open. But um, I think today there is still opportunities on fixing things. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I wish you the very best of luck with that. And uh, thank you so much for coming down today. It's really good to see you, as always. Thank you. And I'll see you soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Cybersecurity Unlocked is also available on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to get the latest updates.